C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And we have no esteemed guests today because the only esteemed guests we need are ourselves. That's so delightful. Thank you. I liked that a lot. I was on that one. (laughs) That gave me some nice warm and fuzzies. Um, Good, I love it. How are you, Shay? I feel like it's been a while since we've recorded. We did a bunch at once that we've been releasing, and now I've amassed a nice cadre of millennial moments and campfire topics, which we will go into. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited. Excellent. Excellent. Well, things are going good here. Not too much to report. Um, It does seem like I haven't talked to you a lot, but then I realized how many thousands of emails and text (laughs) messages and phone calls and that we were recording like this time last week. So I know. It just shows how much we love each other that it's we cannot bear to not be in constant communication. I'm used to seeing you every day in the comfort of yeah. home. And now I only get to live through email and text messages and talking to you on Skype. And I it's know. not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Wow. That's why you and Corey should move here. Just saying. Or you should come back to New York. Duh. You're the one that abandoned me. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Add the I will guilt you. <laughs> That's what I'm good for. Apply or really, you know, um, apply that to my Catholic girl, school girl sensibilities. I love all it. My I have guilt, no shame. So. <laughs> so Shay, what are your millennial moments for this week? So I really think my breakfast and lunch today really illuminate, Ooh. you know, millennial trash bagness. So this morning I woke up and I have had quite a few calls today and I've been super busy. And I thought that my first call was at 10. So I was like, perfect. I will like catch up on all like the weekend stuff in the morning. And then I will take my first call. And then I will at some point take a shower. And then I will like run an errand, come back, take my second call, you know, so on and so forth. Then I realized after I had rushed into the shower and gotten all ready to get on my Skype call that was going to be at supposedly at 10 a.m., but it was not until 10.30 a.m. So then I had a random amount of time to fill, but also meant that I would not have time to eat lunch later when I had planned on eating lunch. So I was like, what can I eat at 10 a.m. that doesn't take any time to prepare um, and I can eat immediately? So I chose to eat a very small amount of leftover mac and cheese that we made for the kids. But it was such a small amount that it was not going to be sufficient (laughs) to sustain me throughout the day if I just ate that. So I combined it with some other bow tie pasta that I had made last week because last week I was really into these like, like literal pasta salads with like our delicious farm lettuce and then some pastas and then, you know, some, um, salamis. Yeah, it was really good. Um, And cheeses. So I was like, I will use those pastas and I will mix them in with the macaroni and cheese. And then I will pour ranch dressing all over. Oh, God. And then I will have cheddar ranch mac and cheese. 
And I did that and I ate it and I didn't even feel that bad about it. Wow, that story really took a turn. I was like, okay, <laughs> mac and cheese, following along, bow tie pasta. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So professional, mini meetings. Yeah, very the good. The ranch, very good. though. That's such a Midwest yeah. thing. I was You're actually. Such a Midwest thing. I have but I my... did see it was homemade ranch. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's good. I actually had it um, not for my millennial moment this week, but I have like a running list of like things that I could talk about in any given week. And there was an article that was like floating around about how ranch is like such a Midwestern thing and no one else understands it like in any other region of the country. True. And one of my friends um, was posting about it and she was like, if you don't put ranch on your pizza, I don't know what you're doing. And I was like, I'm from the Midwest and I don't really put ranch on my pizza. And then they were talking about like the different types of ranch. It's really interesting. So... Yeah, People they actually really did a whole article in the New York Times about it recently. and That might have been I, the one that I was seeing. but Yes, I highly enjoyed it. And it, they actually suggested a pizza place that just opened here in Portland called Ranch. Oh. And uh, we went a couple weeks ago and it was very, very fun. So. so what was your trash bag lunch? So then I... Because even when I made my ranch mac and cheese, it still wasn't really enough food to sustain me. <laughs> so I like had like half of an apple and then I came back and I went for a walk and then I was like feeling kind of like, you know, low blood sugary. So I was like, but then I had like another call. So I was like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to eat because God forbid we have, I can think of anything to eat in the last minute. So I made a grown up lunch bowl. And I, instead of making a sandwich, I just had some crackers and a piece of cheese and some turkey breast. I like that. You should really yeah. patent the grown-up Lunchable thing. I think this should be I part know, of your right? business ventures. I really think that might, yeah, it could be. We could, like, deliver it to your office. Wouldn't that be good? This could be good. Part of the corporate essentials. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So, yeah, so that was my millennial moment for the day. And I just was like, I mean, when I just poured that ranch onto that mac and cheese and <laughs> plain <laughs> pasta that didn't even have, like, nothing on it, nothing. I was like, you've really reached a new low, Shay. This I is a new I'm going to have to try that now. It wasn't that bad. I bet if I had done it when, like, the mac and cheese was fresh and not, like, yeah. really gold, it would have really been good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the what the worst slash best part of that story is, the leftover <laughs> pasta or the ranch, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I think the bag of cheese, like, it was, it was literally, it, like, it just combines everything about millennial trash bagness because I was literally eating a child's leftovers <laughs> that they had rejected over, you know, the sink and covered it in ranch dressing. They don't know so, what they're you know, missing. They don't know what they're missing is true. So that's great. Um, yes. So how about you? Well, this is a good segue. So I have, like I said, I've amassed a lot of topics. So yes. the millennial... I also have a second millennial moment if you if I need to provide it. Oh, sure. You can hop in Later. whenever. Yes. whenever. Uh, you know, we can go back and forth. We can go back and forth. So my millennial moments. So the first one, I texted you about this, Shay, but our listeners mm-hmm. have not heard. So the other day, there was someone in my office who was leaving to go mm-hmm. to a different job. She was like on her two weeks and we were going to have like a little going away celebration at the oh, office. Okay. Um, and we were just going to like get some bottles of wine and, you know, whatever and get some snacks, like nothing crazy, just meet up at the office. And when I first started this job, I was, I've, since they've hired new people, but I used to be the youngest person on my team and they used to make 
the youngest person on the team joined the party planning committee, the PPC, which is a made-up thing. It's just that they make the youngest people on the team plan the get-togethers until we had a boy joined the team and he did not get asked to <gasps> join the PPC. Misogyny, misogyny. I know, which I'm very passionate about this. And granted, I love being on the party planning committee. It's really fun. I've got to like meet people and it's cool to like be on the inside and get to plan like where we go and stuff. So I'm not complaining, but it's just very telling that like on my third day, they were like, oh, you're fun and you're young. You should do this. And then we had a boy who was like literally fresh out of college and like to my knowledge, no one's asked him, and, like, he's kind of a bing-bong a little bit, so maybe that's why, but, like, there's a lot of research about this that women take on, like, maternal responsibilities Mm -hmm. in the office, Um, which I think we've talked about the New York Times article on this podcast, but there's a lot of research and articles about this that women are in charge of planning the birthdays and men just, like, don't even get asked. So, anyways, that was not my Mm -hmm. millennial moment, just an aside. So I'm on the party planning committee, and my boss was like, here, take my card and just go to Trader Joe's, which is walking distance from the office, and just get as much stuff as you can get for $100 is the budget. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I go to Trader Joe's, and I'm just, like, pulling stuff off the shelves, just everything. I'm like, dips, chips, popcorn, cookies, desserts, all this stuff. And I have, like, literally a full cart. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this is – I'm going to have to – I was trying to, like, do mental math in my head, but I wasn't really paying attention. And I was like, okay, I think this should be fine. And then I'm, like, waiting in line, and the line was pretty long, and I'm going through my cart, and I was like, okay, I think this should be under $100. But, like, mm-hmm. I'll tell the guy when I get to the counter, and he's ringing me up that, like, if it's over $100, i will have to cut some stuff and be annoying. So mm-hmm. I get <laughs> I get to the front of the line, and the guy's ringing it up, and my whole order was only $41. <laughs> and I was See, like, this, however, makes oh my me God. think that perhaps the man made a mistake i don't because think a so whole cart of stuff from trader joe's only 41 dollars. Well, you mustn't have gotten any cheeses i got like one small thing of cheese which was like five dollars but it was mostly like stuff that was very like voluminous like chips like bags of chips mm-hmm. and like popcorn yeah. and stuff which yeah. like looks really big but it's really only like a dollar per bag yeah so it was like a lot of that but even like i got like five things of dip too. I was amazed. It's impressive. I looked at the receipt I after and dip. I was like, I don't even know. All the dips well, were only like $2. Like, I'm very amazed by that because the other day I went to the grocery, and maybe this is just the wonder of Trader Joe's, but yesterday I was going over to my cousin's uh, former guest of the pod, Kristen, her house because she got a fancy new grill. And I was like, what can I bring? And she said, can you bring some like dips and stuff because we have chips and it's going to be a couple hours until the ribs are ready. And I was like, great. So I got a hummus, a fancy cheese dip, some cheese curds, and some salsa, and it was $30. Yeah, you probably went to a nicer grocery store. I was like, Safeway. I don't know. But anyway. I I feel like that's like the food emporium in New York. It's like overpriced and not that good. But yeah, Trader Joe's is where it's at, and I basically blew the rest of the budget on alcohol. (laughs) Yes. Even though she told me I could go over budget for the alcohol, I was like, well, I have $60, so... You probably don't need more than that. I just, like, got a bunch of stuff. So that was good. So that's millennial moment number one. Number two, my mom was here a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And we went to go see the musical Come From Away, which I highly recommend. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you know what it's about, but I'll briefly intro it for I do, but tell, it, yeah. tell our listeners. So it's about 
um, during 9-11, most of the planes that were coming from overseas and even some of them that were coming from Canada to the U.S., most of them were coming from Europe or Africa and places like that, couldn't land in the U.S. airspace right after 9-11. So they were all diverted. And at one point in time, the airport in Newfoundland was the biggest international airport in North America. And it had a lot of runways, but obviously now the population has decreased. So basically they had capacity to take all of these planes, but the town itself doubled basically overnight. It's a really small town and they had to take on all these passengers. So someone wrote a musical kind of about this experience called Come From Away about all these people from, you know, all over the world coming to this small town in Canada. And they were basically stuck there for multiple days and kind of how this town rallied around these people and, um, gave them places to live, took them into their homes, took them into, you know, elementary schools, fed them um, Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And they still have like reunions and they go up there like someone got married based on meeting someone else who was on a different plane from them. Like it's this whole great, like really nice story. And the musical is like pretty short. It's like no intermission. Um, And it all takes place like within the week that these people were there. Um, But what I really liked about it was it was like, I feel like we talk a lot about diversity on this podcast and representation and how important it is. And I feel like sometimes, you know, both on the podcast and just in life, it's like diversity is one of those buzzwords that everyone's like, we mm-hmm. like it and we want more of it. But like, what does it really mean? And I felt like watching that musical, I was like, this is what diversity means to me. It was like the cast was super diverse in terms yeah. of like ethnicity, ages, like Mm -hmm. When was the last time you've seen someone, like, over the age of 60 in, like, a lead role in a musical? Like, never. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it was that. Like, they had stories with, like, LGBT characters. There was one of the lead guys was black. Like, it was just... And it it didn't feel very tokeny, and it didn't feel in your face. And it was also, like, there are a lot of funny parts of the show, too. And I felt like, you know, being in the audience, like, it definitely was a mixed crowd of, like, some people that were clearly like from New York and then a lot of tourists and everyone was like really enjoying themselves Mm -hmm. and the humor didn't really talk down to the audience but it was very relatable and I think obviously Mm -hmm. it goes back to the story itself of how people of diverse backgrounds come together and the differences sort of slip away when there's a crisis but um you know and how the differences like don't really matter but that you can learn from people and the rich tapestry of life but I don't know I just found it to be very fun and not like eye rolly like let's talk about diversity I don't know I just really liked it yeah I love it and I also like that we're at a point where you can where we can talk about 9-11 in that way even though it was something that was kind of you know the event that happened in that Canadian town was kind of peripheral to what was going on in the U.S. but um, you know there weren't a lot of good things that came out of 9-11 and I think to be able to look I think it really takes some strong writing and some bravery on the, you know, the producer's part to to put something on like that, something that's ultimately hopeful about a terrible tragedy. Yeah, I thought it was really artfully done. And it was also, I think, because the people that experienced this in Canada were so isolated, like mm-hmm. people didn't have smartphones, they didn't even know what was going on. And most mm-hmm. of them, which you can't do this now, it's illegal, mostly because this happened. Most of the people were on their planes, and they weren't allowed to get off the planes, even in Canada, for 24 hours. So people Mm. had been traveling from, like, as far away as Asia, and this Mm -hmm. was, like, the second leg of their trip, and then they had to sit on the plane for 24 hours 
and then they got off the plane and were like, we don't even know where, what country we're in. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's happening. So, like, kind oh of seeing God. it through that lens and then slowly mm-hmm. watching it, like, on TV. But they never even mention 9-11 in the show. Yeah. Like, they mention, like, the incident and, like, something happened in New York, which I think kind of mirrors how people were talking about it at the time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which was interesting. Um, and people, like, one of the ladies in the, not to spoil it, but, like, one of the... Um, characters in the show her son is a firefighter during 9-11 who passed away Mm -hmm. so like watching that so there are like some sad moments but yeah Yeah. i think it's definitely not a show that i think would go not go over well but like people would find interesting maybe like 10 years ago it's you know definitely more time has passed but Mm -hmm. the show is definitely more about like the town and less about 9-11 i think which is interesting um cool i love it my last millennial moment my brother also came to visit. Yes, I got some very exciting text messages yes. uh, from young Maddie whilst young Jackson was there. Yes, Jackson is a riot. Um, but the thing that is pertinent to this podcast, so we went to the Knicks game um, on Saturday, and it was super mm-hmm. fun. I had never been to Madison Square Garden for a sporting event before, so that was a new experience. But they did this thing, which we talked about it in, I think it was the episode with Josh about the baseball team that had the millennial night and people were Mm -hmm. like giving them shit for it so they did this thing at the Knicks game which like when they when it first came on I was like OMG I have to talk about this on the podcast and I kind of rolled my eyes but then as it went on I thought it was actually super funny so you know how they do like the roving camera things at games like the kiss cam cam. yeah so at one point during like the third quarter they did the millennial cam and I was like Uh oh boy what could this be yeah. And they basically, again, this is, like, not even really a millennial thing, but it was just funny. They basically, like, you know on Snapchat how they have, like, the banner where you, like, type the message? It's, like, the picture, and then it's, like, mm-hmm. the banner with the words. So it was, like, yeah. they had the camera, and then they just had, like, a random caption over, like, the picture. And they were, f- like, purposefully finding people who were, like, asleep in the stands, <laughs> which oh, I thought no. was so funny. So it was, like, they found some girl, and she was, like, sleeping and, like, oh, by God. herself. And they were like, I don't even know. The captions were just so funny. Or they found people who were, like, talking to each other and, like, were not paying attention to the fact that they were, Mm -hmm. like, on the camera and stuff. Like, they had clearly been, like, watching these people for, like, multiple minutes. Oh, my God. Um, Like, one of them was, like, this girl who was, like, wearing what looked like a bikini top, which was, like, really weird. And she had, like two drinks in her hand and it was mm, like party time she, it was like she has a 1.5 rating on lyft oh. <laughs> i just thought that was so funny it was so mean but so funny so anyways it was like definitely you know anytime you put millennial on something it's just like whatever but yeah that particular thing i was like this is well done and some of the captions i was like whoever wrote these at madison square garden has a good mm-hmm. sense of humor so mm-hmm. oh my God. i thought that I love was funny it. I'm surprised that was allowed, you know, insulting your customers, but yeah, you know, well, most of them were just like funny. And once you see, you know, everyone wants to be on the jumbotron, so it's like funny. Yeah, because normally, like to get on the jumbotron, they always pick like the people that are cheering the loudest or like standing up and mm-hmm. like they want to be on, but you never see yeah. the people who like don't want to be on the jumbotron, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was we're funny. Just like nap time. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. That's very yeah. good. Excellent millennial moments. Or thanks. Yes, millennial moments. Yeah. Um. I had one additional one, but it's real dumb compared okay. to all of yours. Well, that's okay. We can move. What's your campfire topic? 
Well, move to that's that. Also or... Well, here, I, I'm going to say my last millennial moment. Yeah, because I think a few weeks ago, remember, I was talking about the new Gmail platform. Mm-hmm. And I was complaining, mm-hmm. but not complaining that much because I think people who complain are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but then now I've got the whatever it's called, like the Gmail, like predict, predictive, predictive text yeah. or whatever it is. And at first I was like, I'm going to hate this. And then I was like, I'm going to like this. But then I really got concerned about what it means for society. I think it's like, fine. Are we not going to have any of our own thoughts? Is the Google just reading our minds at all times? Well, see, I like the predictive text because it's very helpful it, with work emails. It and is it very also, helpful. I think it's learned my most used words. Yes, it does. It's, it definitely yeah. figures out like your most used phrases. I think it's like for me, yeah. I don't feel bad about it because I'm like, what would you rather be spending your time doing? Interesting things or responding to emails? I would rather be doing interesting yeah. things. So if the computer can do that for me, I'd rather do it. It's more so like I think people conflate like G- the Gmail interface and AI in that way with being like, we're not going to have real relationships with real humans. It's like, no, those are two very separate things that are not the same let's not conflate the two like you everyone wants to have meaningful relationships and that's something that you wouldn't give up voluntarily but you're of course going to give up voluntarily spending your time writing two word emails you know I mean I just think it's interesting like given so especially in my personal email in which I might have turned it off I think I turned it off but like in my personal email they have like over a decade of emails they can mine so I feel like whatever they suggest is in my voice and in my work email not quite as much but they you know I've already sent thousands of emails from that account so like there's enough but it makes it's interesting to me to think about some kid who gets their first gmail account at like 16 and it doesn't have anything to you know go from so i wonder if it will eventually change the way we write and the way we think and the way we communicate but that's me getting a little like black mirror-y No, I think that's honestly fine because it's, like, the amount of time I waste. Like, I was talking to someone at work the other day, and we were talking about someone who was, like, more senior to us, and it was a slightly different thing but related, and they were, like, the – it was, like, a a way more senior boss to, like, someone at my level, and she was, like, so-and-so, the senior person, spent, like, two hours with another senior person in a conference room drafting an email Mm -hmm. to Global. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, what a fucking waste of time. That guy makes yeah. like 300 grand and we're paying him to write a stupid email that someone's going to read for five minutes, probably not even read. Like, yeah. you know, so stuff like that. I feel like the reliance on email and the fact that, you know, I think it's one of those things where like we need a way to judge people mm-hmm. in small ways. And email is one of those things. So it has a lot more importance than it really should have. And so I'm all about it. If the 16 year olds kill email and it just becomes like not a way to find someone's real voice i think it'll ultimately just make like i think the next form this is just my theory i think the next wave of like texting and like Mm -hmm. what you could consider like shorthand communication like instant messaging Mm -hmm. or like short emails and stuff is going to be like voice um like voice related like short voice messages because the attention span to read something is going away so quickly that if you yeah. just plugged in your headphones and you were like, let me just listen to all of my emails, it would be so mm-hmm. much quicker. And most people um, are able to learn faster from listening than they are from reading. 
So yeah, I think I don't know. I mean, that's I gonna still be better. think it's important that we're teaching our children how to write and how to craft. And I think emails are an important form of correspondence. And I, you know, I think we need to be careful about how much we let technology take that over because I, I think we just don't even know the beginning of how that affects our brains. But I do have to say like the whole like voice memo and voice message thing, I use that with my clients and I love it because it's a much better and like less formal way to communicate when the client can just, we have, I use an app called Voxer and they just like get on and they're like, Hey, I'm thinking about such and such and such and such and such and such. And then I can like respond back at any time. And it's easier than getting on a phone call. It's also less time consuming than sitting there and like typing up various emails and going back and forth and all of that. Right. I totally agree. I think it's there's so much time wasted by like I think email has a place and it is a tool Mm -hmm. for communication. But having it be the main way you communicate in the workplace or even interpersonally, like I just think it's yeah. not the right way. And I think something like the Vox or what you were talking about, it, it gets the same points across. And if you don't need to be looking at something like if you're not sending across a presentation or something, it's so mm-hmm. much more efficient and it's so much more personable and you really get a sense of who well, the person and, is. Yeah. And certainly for short communications. And I find it hard. I would find it hard for anything super intricate or anything that I needed to refer back to various points often, I would not prefer that. I'd prefer written communication. But that also is partly because my particular sector, the ancient millennials, we are not as good at going back and forth between different types of communication. We either need it all to be spoken or all to be written or all to be online or all to be on a printed sheet of paper. It's really hard for us to go back and forth because we were kind of split Um, I also think the digital age, the technology that exists for print, like email and stuff, and even something like Mm -hmm. a Google, the recall is so much easier. Like you can just type into your email, like a keyword, whereas that doesn't exist for like voice. Yeah. Yeah. Like if there was something where you could say like keyword from so-and-so on Voxer, and then it just pulled up like every sentence that that person Mm -hmm. said using that keyword, that would be so helpful. But that technology just doesn't exist mainstream yet. Yet, yeah. So, so that's it. once that yeah. happens, that's good. All right. Well, you, what is your campfire topic? Um, well, I again have two, but they're slightly Excellent. related. They're both okay. book recommendations. Ooh. So, the first one, I have both books with me. Um, Excellent. The first book is called To Shake. You can tell me if you've heard of either of these. To okay, Shake, I will. To Shake the Sleeping Self by Jedediah Jenkins. Oh, I have not. And, um, the subtitle is A Journey from Oregon to Patagonia and a Quest for a Life with No Regret. So hmm. I just finished this book the other day. It is Show me the cover. Amazing. Even though our Oh can you ooh. see it? Yes, I like it. I like it. Beautiful. Yes. Um, so to give you some background without getting too lengthy in it, so I found Jedediah Jenkins on Instagram. I think I've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast. Um just like randomly I think someone else I followed tagged him and then I started looking through his posts and basically his story he um is also an ancient millennial I think he's around your age and he went to law school and he kind of grew up in a middle class family in Tennessee and he moved to LA went to law school had like a corporate job left that was a lawyer at a nonprofit, and it was like his dream job but he just like wasn't super satisfied with it and he kind of felt 
you know, as he was 27, 28, like approaching 30. Um, and this is part of kind of the opening to the book that really struck me. He was like, I felt like life was happening to me and I wasn't doing anything to kind of move my mm-hmm. own life forward. And I think that's a very common thing that I think a lot of millennials feel. And he f- met someone who had cycled from, I think, New York to like Argentina or something. I can't remember. But he met this guy and he was like, oh my God, that sounds so cool. Like, I could never be able to do something like that. Like, that's so outside. And this guy talked to him and he was like, no, you could really do it. Like, just set your mind to it, set a goal of when you want to do it. And so he was 27, 28 at the time. And he was like, all right, when I turn 30 for my 30th birthday, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to ride a bike from Oregon to Patagonia. Oh my Which God. is the very southern tip of South America. Yes. And so he told everyone in his life, you know, he told his job, like, I'll work for you for two more years and then I'm going to quit um, and do this thing. And he knew he wanted to write a book and kind of document the trip. And I just thought that was so interesting. And I feel like, Shay, you would really like this book because I know you have experience with long distance hiking and these kind of things. Um But what I thought was very millennial about it, and he talks about it in the book, is the way that he kind of communicated to people, which I kind of joined. I followed him on Instagram sort of towards the end of his trip when he was in Chile. And he was originally, because he was trying to write while he was on the road to kind of collect all these stories to write a book eventually. And he was like, I already had all these people, like he was posting really beautiful. I mean, they were like amateur photos, but like really beautiful, you know, landscapes and stuff. And Mm -hmm. people were sharing it and he started amassing all these followers on Instagram. And he was like, you know, it's a lot to like ask people to like go to a different blog or like read a lengthy email and all this stuff. And he was like, if I already have eyeballs on Instagram Mm -hmm. and people want to look at my photos, I'll just write instead of just like a one sentence blurb, I'll write like a three or four paragraph like longer um, post. And he's really the only person I've seen do this that does it really effectively like Mm -hmm. I still follow him and he does it to this day where like all of his Instagram posts are like mini blog posts and some of them are really long like most of them are like two or three paragraphs which is you know if you just want to see the picture Mm -hmm. you can scroll right past it but it's enough that you can really sit and think and like digest it and it really breaks down the photo for you and I just thought that was so interesting that he was using Instagram which I think is like the millennial tool Mm -hmm. and used it to meet people halfway And he ended up getting, like, millions of followers on Instagram and, like, all this stuff. His book is, like, on the bestseller list now. I love it. Um, And it was just really good because on both levels, you know, from a millennial perspective, like, this kind of, you know, wild sort of in that vein, like, this spirit Mm -hmm. quest of, like, using – he talks a lot about using travel as a way to, like, get out of a funk and get out of kind of that mundane sort of – existence and try to find you know more sort of meaningful choices Um, and he also talks about he grew up really conservative in a really conservative Christian family and he's gay so the trip kind of helped him work through all of that and like going Mm -hmm. through all of these really Catholic countries and meeting all these really religious people um, which I think that's very relatable for a lot of millennials kind of how does faith fit into like a very secular society and then also the Instagram thing of using technology and you know, he never, like, set out to build. Like, when he started the trip, he had, like, 300 followers, which I think is, like, how many I have, any, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's, like, how many any person had. And, like, throughout the course of the trip, just because he was posting these really, really thoughtful um, posts about what he was going through, like, people just shared it. And 
now he's friends with like famous people and his life has taken off whatever but um i just find him to be very down to earth and i also i met him when i went to that like he's the one that started those bitta reusable cup things too oh yeah so i'm very obsessed with him you should all follow him at jedediah jenkins on instagram and read his book Mm. to shake the sleeping self well, I will definitely check it out. Maddie, you should use your celebrity stalking skills to get him to come on the podcast. I kind I of think. I kind of think he would, to be honest with you, yeah, because seriously, he talks a lot about in the book that because he kind of wrote the intro kind of backwards where he's like, this is where I'm at now and then kind of starts the story from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I'm just like very normal. And he's like, now I I'm friends with like celebrities and stuff and like on his website he ha- still has like his personal gmail on there and stuff so no i cute. will look into that um yeah, i think you should do that um i love that whole story i definitely want to check out the book um i think you know it's one of the things that makes instagram an interesting platform because you can combine the written word with the visual um in a way that's still very digestible um, and i'm interested to take a look at his feed i know you know humans of new york uh, did this then you know Brandon Stanton kind of switched from just the image to the image plus a story and I think it's very effective and, and um, you know it's I don't know it's certainly something I think about a lot even though I'm currently taking at least in terms of my business I'm taking a step away from social media but um, I think it is a really great way to use Instagram um, but I also think people need to remember that you know I think there's this millennial idea that Instagram is somehow more pure than other forms of social media, but we have to remember that all the same algorithms apply and more will continue to apply. Um, man, that sounded way more cynical than I wanted it to, but no, it's you true. Know. I think what I liked about it, and I think this is like what you do with your business too, is like instead of making it harder for people to like consume your content, like meet people where they are. Like if you yeah. realize that you're getting like 10,000 followers a day on Instagram from doing nothing, like yeah just post your stuff on instagram like don't have a separate blog like just do that so that's kind of what he found out like if most of your people are on facebook or most of your people are using email like just do that like don't have people do the extra Mm -hmm. click and if they really in his case like people were really following for the photos but then they stayed because he is a really talented writer um Mm -hmm. kind of capitalize on that and i i i feel i don't know if you want to talk about it Shay but I know you've had the experience like you did your cross-country um road Mm -hmm. trip recently and you also hiked the Camino so I felt Mm -hmm. like you know yeah it's funny I've never really talked about my experience hiking the Camino or that road trip so much uh on the podcast so uh, I've done a couple cross-country road trips actually I've done it twice and I've done some other long distance driving um with my dad which has been really awesome um you know, it was really interesting when I hiked the Camino de Santiago. And for our listeners who don't know what that is, um, it's a 500-mile hike across northern Spain. It was originally a religious pilgrimage, but it's now, I mean, certainly many people still do it for religious reasons. Parts of it are still supported by the church. Um, but overall, it's something that people do for recreation and secular reasons. But it's a it's a true pilgrimage. And it's it's a, it was an incredible experience. And I did it in 2010. Um, so it was really pre social media. So I think it was really interesting because I wasn't concerned, nor did I want to really share yeah. my experience. And I think it's interesting um, that you say that because he talks about this in the book that that was yeah. something that really bothered him. And he was really conflicted about it of like, 
he wanted the trip to be for him, but he was like, now I have this like performative aspect to it. So Mm -hmm. it's nice that you didn't have to wrestle with that. Yeah. I mean, I think what was really nice about it, you know, also, I mean, I just really was able to disconnect and I did, you know, it was, you know, in 2010, you couldn't even just switch out your SIM card. Like I had to rent a separate phone just to like call home to talk to my family. So I thought that was really, you know, it was a really different experience. And I've read about people who have done the Camino since, and they say it's very different because again, it's now so easy to just, you know, get an international plan, switch out your SIM card. A lot of the albergues, which are the hostels um, you stay in along the way, have Wi-Fi. So I think it was really special that I did it before then, but it also was a really powerful experience. And you know, I think this is what we all struggle with as millennials is, you know, there's, yes, it can be performative and, you know, a little voyeuristic to share and to partake in the sharing of these experiences, but it also creates this community. And there's a part of me that wishes, you know, I'd been able to share some of it. Um, but there's a part of me that also wishes it's and or is very glad that it was private and that I was able to be very much in the moment. And I remember at the time, right before I left, I was um, talking to my cousin's wife and she said to me, she's like, don't, and she's a photographer. So I found this very interesting. She was like, don't really worry about taking pictures when you're there because the more present you are in the moment, the more you're going to remember it. And she's like, literally stop and like blink your eyes and pretend (laughs) that you're taking a picture and see how much better your recall is afterwards. And it was incredible. Like I remember th- like very specific, so many specific moments from that trip, mostly because it was, uh, you know, it, it was an incredible trip, but also I think because I practiced this technique and because I wasn't trying to capture and share everything. Um, so anyway, it's something I hope to go back and do again. And, oh, I've also started making my plans to do the Pacific Crest Trail. So I'm very excited. Are you about really, that. are you going to through hike the whole yeah. thing? No, I'm not going to throw it. Are you doing it, it be- by yourself? Uh, uh, yes. Well, yes and no. I am not going to through hike it because it takes too long and I'm afraid of snakes. Uh, so I'm probably, I mean, I'm going to do Washington and Oregon and Northern California and kind of see how it goes. Um, I feel like David and I'll probably invite other family members and friends to join me for different parts of it and also like redo my pack, but I'll probably do like a week to two weeks at a time. Um, you know, over next summer and fall, maybe try and get a, I don't know, three weeks done next year and then three weeks the year after and just see how far I could do. That's I literally cool. just started making a plan for this like two days ago. So well, I want to hike excited. part of it with you. So leave yes, a space for yes. me. I will. I will. Camp It'll adulthood, actual fun. camping. It's going to be great. Oh my um, God. It will be so fun. I, yeah, I want to hike the Pacific Crest Trail too. So that'll be fun. Um, Yeah, I think all that makes sense. I think having the community, and it's good, like you're talking about that, like having people hike with you and like having that um, support, because it is really hard to do it by yourself. And he talks about in the book, too, that, you know, he originally set out to do it alone. And then he had someone that joined him kind of at the beginning. And then by the time he was in South America, he had all these people online and he had, you know, places to stay in these foreign countries based on finding people off the internet. And that was like, a godsend um for sure especially in these dangerous places um and you know people were like sending him stuff so it made it a lot safer and easier and a more enjoyable experience but again there's bad things that come with it too but yeah you know I think I mean again when I hiked the Camino it was very safe but I did 
it was interesting because my intention was really to do it alone. And I, I, that was really important to me. And on my first day I had ended up like having dinner with some women, um, and one gentleman, and we ended up hiking the whole thing together. There were, maybe we lost touch for like a day or two in certain places if somebody got ahead or someone was injured or whatever, but we entered Santiago together and for something that I didn't want, it was actually one of the most, or I thought I didn't want, it was one of the most powerful parts of the entire experience. Um, so I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah. It's very cool. I like reading books like that, like Wild and like all the mm-hmm. Bill Bryson books about hiking the Appalachian the Trail and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still think cool. Wild is the best book about hiking and walking that combines the physical narrative with the emotional narrative. It's just, it's so incredible. And I'm always so sad that Cheryl Strayed hasn't written more, but Wild was so perfect that I'm always like, I don't even care. It's such a perfect book. Well, I think you would really like this book because Cheryl Strayed actually wrote one of the like quotes on it. Amazing. On the book. And he was like freaking out on social media because he was like, I love her so much. And she did it like, he sent her just like randomly to her like P.O. box at her office, like the book yeah. and was like, you're one of my inspirations. And then she sent it back and she was like, if you want to put this quote on your book, you can just like so sweet. Um, but yeah, I actually got like very similar vibes reading this mm-hmm. book as Cheryl Strayed. Like it, it very well, like combined like fun anecdotes from the road. Plus like, mm-hmm. this is what's going on internally. And it's very different. Mm-hmm. Obviously like she was struggling with addiction and a lot of personal stuff and yeah. he's struggling with, more so like his extreme like christian faith um which is really interesting um so anyways would highly recommend and the second book the second book will probably be a less lengthy discussion and not as related to millennial stuff but i just want to recommend i haven't read this one yet but i've read Mm -hmm. his first book and i'm in the middle of the book that he wrote with his wife so are you familiar with damian eccles i feel like i've talked about him on this podcast I, I know the name, but I don't really know much about him. Okay. I'll give the brief synopsis before I go into this. Great. I'm Excellent. mildly obsessed with him. Probably not mildly. A lot obsessed. So if people are familiar with the Paradise Lost documentaries on HBO, there's three of them, or the West of Memphis documentary. So there was this series of murders in the 90s of these elementary school boys, and there were three high school boys, Damien Eccles being one of them, um who were convicted of the murders and it was in a very um conservative christian arkansas community and there was a kid that gave one of the three boys gave what i believe is a coerced false confession because he Mm -hmm. i don't know what the pc term is but he's like forrest gump you know like one of those and you know maybe a little bit long functioning i don't know if that's right to say whatever um Mm -hmm not able to, you know, be interrogated by the police. And he basically gave a false confession. There was no physical evidence linking these boys, yada, yada. So Damien Eccles was the only one who was 18 at the time. And Mm -hmm. he got sentenced to death in Arkansas. The other two boys were um, not sentenced to death. And Mm -hmm. the whole trial is documented in the first Paradise Lost documentary. And, you know, Damien Eccles, like, all the typical stuff. Like, he listened to, like, rock music and he was a self-proclaimed like Wiccan and he had long black hair and he was kind of Mm, like those Wiccans sassy and stuff. And they basically painted it as if these boys did like a satanic worship thing and they sacrificed the second graders. 
and it was like really horrible there was like sexual assault elements and stuff definitely not for the faint of heart if you want to research it but mm-hmm. anyways so damien Eccles gets sentenced to life in prison all three of them always maintain their innocence um and the first paradise lost documentary comes out it gets a lot of attention this is like in the early 2000s um eddie vetter and johnny depp become really involved with their campaign oh. um this woman, Lori, starts writing Damien Eccles in prison. They ultimately get married. She moves down to Arkansas and is, like, she lived in New York. She moved down to Arkansas, quit her job, and becomes, like, a full-time advocate for them. And mm-hmm. anyways, Damien Eccles spent 18 years on death row. He had multiple mm-hmm. um, dates that his execution was supposed to take place, and for various, like, reasons, they didn't take place. One of them, mm-hmm. I think there was a storm in Arkansas and the power went out or something. And so they couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. Like all these crazy, like random acts of God. Mm -hmm. So 18 years go by. He's like in his mid thirties at this point. And there's so much publicity and all this like DNA evidence and stuff comes out and they give a rare Alford plea. It's called where basically you plead guilty. So you're still a felon, but they basically sentence you to time served and you get out of prison. So that's what they were able to do. So he's technically still a felon, um, and he hasn't been able to maintain his innocence outside of prison, but he was able to leave and, Mm -hmm. you know, as a free man. And so now he lives in New York with his wife, Lori, and Mm -hmm. he wrote this book called High Magic. This is what it looks like. And that is a picture of him and all his tattoos. Oh. I will post pictures. Interesting. Interesting. I like Loki definitely would bone him, but that's beside the point of what we're talking about. Um, Great. <laughs> and this podcast always takes an interesting turn. <laughs> so the book is called High Magic, the, A Guide to the Spiritual Practices That Saved My Life on Death Row. So oh. really interesting. So he basically decided and he talks a little bit about it in his first book, which is basically just a memoir of his life and his time in prison. It's called life after death. It's really good. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how I've outside of watching the documentaries. That's kind of how I first um, got to know him. And he, he's a really good writer too. He's very smart. And then he also published a book with his wife, Lori, that was basically a publication of all of their letters that they wrote back and forth in prison to kind of shed a light on like the whole prison romance and how much, hate they get they're still married um Mm -hmm. and to kind of show like an inside look into what they were thinking while they were going through all of this but anyways he has always been interested even when he was a kid and he was like a wiccan he's not anymore but you know that's Mm -hmm. kind of like a childish thing that people do and he got really into meditation and yoga and i went to a book talk where i got this book and i met him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he basically turned his jail cell that he was in Like, there were years where he never went outside. Like, he was in solitary confinement, and he turned it into a monastery and basically meditated for, like, eight hours a day. Yeah. And he was like, that's what saved my life, and it saved my life when I got out. And he had all of these, like, horrible psychological problems, like, transitioning from being in jail to being in the real world. Mm -hmm. And he's developed, like, all of these techniques that are kind of a mix between, like, yoga and meditation that he said kept him from going crazy while he was in prison that happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I flipped through the book. It seems really cool. He did kind of like a guided meditation at this workshop that I was at. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I don't know if I was just like drinking the Kool-Aid or I like really like this guy, but I was like, this is awesome. 
I'm going to do it. So I'm going to yeah. read this book and I'll let you all know how it is. Um, that but anyways, great. he's really cool. And I met him. There's a picture with him and me on Instagram. And he liked the picture on Instagram and I freaked out. And now your best friends forever. I want him to come on the podcast, but I feel like I'm not going to reach out to him because he's very fragile and I'm always afraid like the world is going to hurt him. You know, he's just like so tender and I feel like he's been through enough and he basically mm-hmm. like even like writing the books and stuff. He's like he can't like write anymore because he has like arthritis in his hands. He has like all mm-hmm. these medical problems from being tortured and mistreated in prison. Yeah. And so he basically dictated the entire book, but he like doesn't really give interviews. And so when I was going to this book talk, I was like, I don't really know what he's going to be like because I've read all this stuff about yeah. how he was so traumatized getting out of prison and he, like, couldn't have been nicer. He was, like, so smiley. And he was, like, oh, my God, I can't believe so many people came to this book talk. He was, like, chit-chatting with me. I was, like, you're the best person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. So I love I'm it. kind of obsessed. Um, I have nothing to comment on that <laughs> except it sounds very interesting. And I'm going to look into him and learn more about him. But when you started talking about him, I was, like, Damien Eccles. And then you're, like, talking about the conviction and death row. And I was, like, oh, this is completely <laughs> not who I thought it was. Because I was in my head thinking, isn't Damien Eccles some kind of, like, meditation, like, spiritual Dalai Lama type? But then you got to it at the end. And I was, like, okay, I'm not totally off Yeah, it's, it's coming around. Yeah, because that's what he's done, like, in recent years. And he's been, like, you know, featured in different, like, magazines and stuff. And the woman who led the book talk um, – she's like a writer and she's been featured in yoga journal and stuff so he's kind of like he's come around like you either know him from like the meditation like spiritual stuff or you know him from the fact that he was wrongfully convicted in my opinion yeah Mm -hmm. okay excellent um those were very good yeah okay i'm ready to go on mine i also conjured up three things whilst you were talking i love it okay The first is when you started doing book reviews, I wanted to (laughs) check in because I read, per your suggestion, Work Party. Oh, how was it? It's very millennial. It is very, very good. And it was it was what I wanted Girlboss to be. Yes. And Girlboss wasn't like I loved Girlboss. And I thought it was a really interesting story about Sophia Amoruso. But this or whatever Amoruso. um, But Jacqueline Johnson in Work Party, she tells her story to to an extent as an illustration. But what I really liked about the book is it's really applicable if you either want to be an entrepreneur or if you want to be a career person. Um, And I really liked that she was able, because this is something I try and do in my own work, that she was able to really hit kind of both the entrepreneur aspect and the corporate aspect. So it's just a good book. And there's a lot of like really practical tips. And I really enjoyed it. It's a quick read. um, And she's not super repetitive in what she says, which I find so many of these like pseudo self-help business books are just like so repetitive. Um, So again, it's not like it doesn't say anything deep. And I think if you're reading it as like a 35, 34 year old, like I am, you're going to be like, yeah, duh. It's not like I took away any like major light bulbs from it. But I think if you're reading it as like a 24-year-old or a 25-year-old who's kind of fresh to the workforce or like thinking about entrepreneurism, it'll it'll blow your mind a little bit. Um, but the other thing I really thought was interesting about it because, you know, it, her, Jacqueline and Sophia, and there's many, many um, female entrepreneurs like this who are now writing these books about entrepreneurship but they always acknowledge that they kind of got on the internet at exactly the right time, like at the start of social media or at the start of blogging or at the start of eBay. Um, so 
a lot of what sometimes they offer isn't really practical because we're not in that space anymore. And these things have evolved so drastically over the past decade. Yeah. Um, so again, what I liked about Jacqueline's book is that she certainly hit on on. She mentioned that like I was lucky like my blog got famous because it was the early days of blogging and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But that's not like the focus of the story. She's like still here are all kind of the like universal tips taken from my career um, and her work with women through Create and Cultivate. So um, I really liked it. So check for that. Thank you, Maddie, for bringing it to my attention. Yeah, I only read the first three chapters because they were free on Amazon. So I'll have to read the full book. Maybe we'll do a swap. Yes. Oh, well, sadly, I got mine from the library, oh, so well, I will not be able to swap you, but... That's okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I really found it. I think that's a good assessment. Like, it's what girl boss like, aims to me. Like, I find more of, like, Sophia Amorosa stuff to be more, like, memoir and less, like, practical, whereas yeah, this book was kind of the opposite. It was, like, less mm-hmm. about her life and more just, like, these are practical business tips. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I found... I, I do find that really interesting, and I wonder, like, what the like new thing that we don't even know because I don't exist on the internet like how to reach people and like mm-hmm. 10 years from now they're gonna be like oh there's some 14 year old that like discovered this thing and like Seriously. I don't even know what it is um yeah. but I feel like it's kind of podcasting even like like we've gotten into podcasting definitely not like on the forefront but even in the past yeah. year I feel like it's exploded like in terms of like yeah when we started our podcast I I obviously listened to podcasts, but I had only been listening for maybe six months to a year at that yeah. point. Like, Guys We Fucked was the first podcast I ever listened to, and that was – and Serial. And I listened to mm-hmm. both of those when we were living together. So it hadn't been, you know, years and years. But now mm-hmm. it's like I have multiple friends who have their own podcasts, plus all the, like, more professional yeah. podcasts, which that's definitely new in the past, exactly. like, six months, I think. Yeah. No, I totally agree because there's also this whole joke about, like, how everybody has a podcast. Yeah. You know, and I also have many friends, uh, several friends who have their own podcasts or take take part with them. And, you know, it's so funny because we did so much research, particularly you about everything and our equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, someone's like, oh, I have a podcast, too. And I always have this moment of like, is it going to be awful? And then I'm going to have to make up lies about it. Um, but so far, most of them have been pretty good. But yeah, um, yeah no, I totally agree. Um, speaking, that's an excellent segue to the next thing that I wanted to say Perfect. for Toasty Campfire Topic. Um, there's a new season of one of my favorite podcasts out. Um, it is Someone Knows Something by the Canadian Broadcast Company. It is kind of like a murdery, cold case um, type investigation by David Ridgen. And this is the fifth season. Um, three of the seasons explored crimes in Canada and one um, a, a crime in the American South that had to do with the civil rights movement. Um, but they're all just really, really well done. And David Ridgen is just such an incredible researcher and investigator. And um, it's really like one of the most soothing podcasts and they're like delightful Canadian accents. But the subject matter is like super, super horrible. Um, so if you like horrible things told to you by a very soothing Canadian man, I would recommend it. I love it. I'm into it. I've been obviously Damien Eccles. We were talking about that. So I've investigated that crime. Mm-hmm. Not investigated. Yeah. I've like read about it. Um, but I also season two of Making a Murderer. So mm. I've been watching that. So I need once that ends more crime. Yeah. So I will so definitely I check what- it out more crime it's very good really all the seasons are great um my f- I really liked 
There's one about like this uh, Canadian like uh, stripper that goes missing. That one was particularly good. Um, but yeah, so that's his whole career is like solving these missing persons and these cold cases and then presenting them. Cool. Uh, so my last thing, and I don't really have anything. I think we've really, really gone crazy on this friendship podcast. Um, but I'm not, I meant to check the date that we we're going to be really releasing this solo episode, but I wanted to remind everyone to vote. Um, yes. this is we're really releasing important. it on Saturday. So it's definitely oh, before people right. have to vote. Excellent. Did you see what I posted on the Instagram today? No, I haven't been on Instagram all day, except for like two minutes. While you're talking. No, no, no. I'll show it to you while you're talking. Oh, okay. Great. So um, I just, you know, it's really interesting because I think this is the first time in, you know, my memory that a midterm election has been so important and really been so pivotal. Um, So I want to make sure that everybody... I posted on uh, the Camp Adult at Instagram. Sorry to cut you off. I know, but I'm trying to do... Okay. Have you registered? Excellent. Thank you. So timely. So timely, Maddie. I love how we have two brains that think as one. I know. Um, so just make sure you get out there and do a little bit of research. You know, I really like in Oregon, we get this like giant booklet in the mail that like oh, explains yeah. all the different candidates. I get that um, in New York too. It's very nice. I love it. I don't I don't know why I didn't get one of those in New York. I don't know. Maybe they just started doing it. Or were you registered to vote in New York? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Maybe they just started so. doing it. I might have missed it too. Who knows? But I really like it. And make sure you actually do your research because, you know, there's a lot – you know, you really have to read the fine lines. You know, there's a measure in Oregon that is about is they're trying to pass um, that would really limit access to abortion. And their arguments on both sides are really interesting. And, you know, um, you really want to make sure that you're educating yourself on all of these issues so that you can vote with a, a clear conscience. And whatever you do, get out there and vote. It is so important. Like, just cast your ballot, even if you hate everything and you want to abstain from every vote and just say no opinion like get out there and exercise your right to vote um especially this is me getting on my soapbox all the women listening uh, we have not had the right to vote in this country for even a hundred years yet and it is our rights are threatened every day so you better take advantage of this and if you don't i don't want to hear your belly aching yes cough cough david David will be voting. <laughs> I know who will. I like every time we talk about voting, I'm going to be like, David. No, I'm just kidding. Um, as soon as I'm off the phone, actually, I'm going to go out to the mailbox and see if his ballot came. Mine already oh, came. Oh, yeah. You guys have mail voting in Oregon. That's pretty yeah, cool. And if you have mail voting and you don't vote, you are the laziest motherfucker. I yeah. am so sorry. Like, you don't even have to go to the polls or wait in any lines. Yeah. Tisk tisk. Yeah, it's crazy. No, I thoroughly enjoy voting. And I've only voted in person once because I um registered in michigan when i turned 18 and then i voted absentee um a couple times and then it was just i voted in the last presidential election in michigan and then once i had to change my driver's license i really only voted in the mayoral election in person and it was very exciting much more exciting than voting absentee but again they make it easy with the mail ballots and i was talking to a friend um that lives in georgia actually which there's many shenanigans going on there definitely important Mm -hmm. to vote um but is this Leah Sherman, former guest of the pod? It, it is. It is That's Leah Sherman, former guest of the pod. Um, my only friend in Georgia, really. But um, she, we were both kind of lamenting that it's just like such a foreign concept to me that people don't vote, mostly because I'm a nerd and I like researching the issues. And I think, you know, the ballot measures, there aren't, I don't even think there are any in New York, like, 
Mm-hmm. It's going to be boring. But um, if you live in a place where there are ballot measures or, you know, different unique circumstances to voting, I think it's really interesting. And I was talking to Lee about this and she said her parents did this too. But like, even in the little like piddly, like school board, like doesn't mean anything elections like my mom would always take me she would make a point of like going out of her way like she was a stay-at-home mom so she could have voted anytime during the day but she Mm -hmm. would always wait and until we like got home from school and then we would go vote together and a couple times she let me pull the lever and wear the sticker and stuff and I feel like if you have kids especially take them to vote because I have a lot of friends who are you know equally as educated and you know, live in similar places to me and they are kind of, they only vote if they're really passionate or, you know, Mm -hmm. if they read something on Facebook or whatever, which is all fine and dandy, but it's not like a core value for them. And I feel like the only way to really make it a core value for someone is the societal pressure, which I feel like millennials are really good at and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting it ingrained in your head from a really young age. So Mm -hmm. that would be my addition to that. Yeah, I agree. And I think I've definitely seen that with particularly my friends in New York who have kids, but then, you know, it's a lot of people in this country who are, again, educated, just feel like their vote doesn't make a difference. And I think that... Don't even get me started. It's so stupid. Don't even get me started either. We're not even get started on it. Anyway, conclusion, vote or else Maddie and I will personally come to your house and shun you yeah. and shame you. And you know what else we can do, which you can do this on your own time. You can't obviously tell who they voted for, but because voter rolls are public and in most places, um, like if you don't vote so many times, a lot of states will like purge you from the voter records. Mm -hmm. You can see how many times people have voted in the state that they're, you can't see like who they voted for, obviously, but you can see like, did they vote in the midterms? Did they vote? Mm -hmm. So if you're going on a date with someone or if you're looking to be besties with someone, you know, again, societal pressure. I'm not saying we should big brother each other, but, like you know, it. if you're skeptical. Big brother each other. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. it's public. So if you lie and say you voted and you didn't, it's out there, people. Everyone will know. I yeah. love it. All right. This episode's getting long, but let's do one or two of our modern oh, yes. love questions. I'm very excited. Um, ha- were we on number 13? What is number 13? If a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else. Oh, what yeah. Would I think we did that one. Okay. Um, is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time? Yes, Why we did haven't that one. you done it? Uh, what is your most terrible memory? Yes, we did those. Okay. The memory ones. If you knew that in one year you would die suddenly, would you change anything about the way you are living now? Why? Uh, I don't think we did that one. Okay. That's, I think that makes sense that we're on number um, 19. Yeah, I think I would. I think you would be stupid not to. Mm-hmm. Unless you're just, like, living your dreams every day. Like, obviously, you would want to do the practical things of getting your affairs in order and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you probably wouldn't, like, I would quit my job. Like, are you kidding? I was actually talking to, um, it's kind of tangential, but when my brother was in town, we bought lottery tickets, which Mm -hmm. I bought more of them, so this could be real. Um, Could be the proud owner of $1.6 billion, but I was talking to my brother and he had my brother's kind of a goober so I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting him to have this uh really mature response but I was like dude if I quit the if I won the lottery like quitting my job tomorrow like are you kidding like 100% not gonna do this and my brother I asked my brother that and he was like I wouldn't quit my job and I was like why and he was like well most people which this is true declare bankruptcy after winning the lottery 
Mm-hmm. And he was like, you never know. Like, what if you put it in an investment fund and then it all becomes worthless or someone steals it from you or, you know, or you realize that you want to go back to work, but then you've, you quit your job 10 years ago and now you don't have the skills and you're just like a rich person, but you're useless. And I was like, oh, I still think I would quit yeah. my job, but still. Yeah. But I think that there's just something, I think the real question, because I've been asked this before, like, if you didn't have to work, would you work? And I'm like, I would always work. I'm the type of person that has to work. And by defining work as by doing like meaningful activity. Um, so like, it was so funny. I was thinking about this reason recently. I'm like, if somebody just said that like your income is secure for the rest of your life, you're going to make $150,000 a year because I feel like that's a good solid income where you can save and do all everything that you want and live pretty high on the hog, but mm-hmm. it's not crazy, you know? If I were making that much money and I, I knew that was guaranteed for the rest of my life, no matter what I did, I would do something total like I wouldn't like I would do a lot of volunteer work. I would try and write some books. Um, I would travel, but I certainly would get out of the grind. Right? right. You know, I wouldn't keep doing what I'm doing and I it would be a very different way of living. So, yeah, yeah um, no, I totally agree. Like I wouldn't like if I knew I was going to die in a year, I wouldn't work. I would try and spend time with my family and friends and make sure my airfares are in order. So, I mean, I feel like that's a dumb question. <laughs> so, no. uh, let's do maybe two more. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, what does friendship mean to you, Maddie? Oh on Maddie gosh. and Cheese Friendship Podcast. I know. So topical. I feel yeah. like, did we do this one? Or was, there might have been a so. similar question. I feel like there was one yeah. that was like, what is the best quality that you would find in a friend that you want in a friend or something um yes we do we talked about your partner yeah I feel like friendship is I don't know I feel like you just you just know when you know it's like a connection it's both a a verb and a noun Mm -hmm. we can start there you know yes like that it's a thing that exists and I think you know obviously there's a connection and you can tell if you have the same values as someone, but it's also something that you have to continuously do. Like there are people, you know, like there's a girl that I went to middle school with who just moved back to New York and like our lives are totally different. And yeah, we were like, oh, we should meet up. But like none of us have has really like followed up on that because I think we were both like, oh, our lives are pretty different. And we're not interested in the same stuff. But like I think if I had maintained that friendship from middle school, we would still be super close friends. But we haven't, you know, for various mm-hmm. reasons. So it's definitely something that you have to work at. And so I think that's what it means. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think friendship is something that should be cultivated, especially when your friends are not necessarily in your community, which I think happens more and more often in this day and age with people moving all over the place. Um, and you kind of get away from those fundamental core relationships that you develop, you know, in your teens and early twenties. But I also think with the friendships that really have stuck in my life and I'm definitely like a girl's girl and I have a lot of really close friends um, and I have some male friends too, but mostly women. Um, the ones that have stuck with me the, are the most are the ones that we've, you know, we've been through something together. We have a really good foundation, but if I don't talk to them for six months, there's no hard feelings, you right. know, like it's, it's as if we talked the day before. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of rare, but I think it's this friendship that is completely 
because you have such a strong foundation, it allows the friendship to be really unconditional and it allows it to weather the storm. And for me, friendship, like once you're friends with me, sorry, Maddie, you're stuck with me for life. Like I don't look at friendships as something transient. I look at them as something that lasts for decades. And I always think, and this is because this is an example that, you know, is set to me by my parents and by people in my family and particularly by my dad, um, that, you know, if I'm going to be friends with someone for 50 or 60 years, you're not going to be super intimate for all of those 50 or 60 years, but you have to let that ebb and flow and keep coming to that relationship with a really open heart and a really warm sentiment. Um, and that's what friendship means to me. I love it. Okay. What's our last question? question? What roles do love and affection play in your life? Interesting. Um, I feel like this question is really like, which of the five love languages do you practice? Oh, um, I took this quiz one time. I know. I've been wanting to read the book, actually. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's also interesting, mm-hmm. like, there's two ways of thinking about it. It's like the way that you want to receive love and then the way that you give love are not always the same yeah which is really interesting um I don't know I mean it's I think it's fundamental like I think everyone needs it um Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily like a lovey-dovey person like maybe in private but like I'm not like super like mushy-gushy like demonstrative in public and stuff um so there's that And I think I definitely, like, the way, I think the fact that physical touch is one of the love languages I think is kind of stupid because I feel like truly, unless you're kind of, like, an asexual person, I think that's, like, a given to a certain extent. Yeah. As someone who's, like, been in a long-distance relationship, like, it's totally, like, foundational. And going back to Damien Eccles, like, reading the book of letters between him and his wife, like that it was like an all-encompassing thing like it's all they it was like obsessive for them it's like all they could think about because they didn't have it you know yeah and they had every other aspect of the five love languages so I feel like that one's like on an island unto itself but like I'm very good at like acts of service and like giving gifts Mm -hmm. for other people Mm -hmm. but like words of affirmation I have to try really hard yeah. And so that's sometimes hard for people, like, and it's also hard for me to, like, accept it. Like, when people are, like, even friends or, like, family no. members, when they're, like, really gushy with me, I'm like, ah. That's why I like to do that to you on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> Tell you what a good job you're doing. Thank you. Um, you Yeah, I don't really know how to take a compliment. Um, <laughs> but I think the way that I most like, like, what means the most to me is probably... Mm-hmm. Um, acts of service. Yeah. And I think quality, quality time's the other one. Those are the five. Um, which again, I'm like, I get quality time, but I feel like it's encompassed in the other ones. So I I would say probably like a mixture of, um, you know, those types of things. But again, the, the ones that mean most to me are not, you know, love and affection seem kind of like mushy gushy. Like that's Mm -hmm. not really what it means. It's just like, being there for someone and kind of going back to the friendship thing like that unconditional um thing like I don't need like to be hugged every day like someone I was talking to a friend about that recently and I felt kind of bad because I was like trying to like maintain eye contact with her and not like laugh because she was like I just need 
you know, to be hot, like, she was, like, having a conversation with like her boyfriend about how he doesn't like hug her enough and i was like dude get a fucking grip like i'm sorry yeah yeah you guys live together yeah like so i don't know i'm a bitch no i don't think you're a bitch and i think that that's yeah it all and also it's like that's not here's the thing right about like the five love languages and love and affection like you have to be open with your partner and open with the people in your life about what you need yeah there's a certain vulnerability there's no exactly there's no value judgment on what the needs are but the value judgment comes when you don't say anything and then you get pissy when people aren't showing you the love and affection in the way that you need it to be like i'm a pretty like i'm not like a big like PDA person like I really don't like like you know making out on the street or anything but like I'm a very affectionate person and I definitely like to give those words of affirmation like I think it's really important if you love somebody to tell them that you love them and like I never like to like hang up the phone or whatever and feel like I should have said I love you and this is even like with my friends you know or that I should have like told them they're doing a good job like I always really try yeah. to do that you know um so but yeah I think it's important like no one wants to like live by themselves and not be touched so that's also why right. I got a small furry dog so I could force her to give me affection no it's so. true but it's definitely like it's also like the stage of your relationship and like mm-hmm. quality time versus like physical touch because like I agree like when Corey and I were long distance it was like that cloud like the fact that we were apart like clouded everything else that we like thought about like that mm-hmm. was it like there yeah. wasn't that was like the most important thing like every all the other love languages like fell to the wayside and that's mm-hmm. just what happens but like once you have that it's like i my apartment is so small that i have no choice but to touch him at all times um yeah, yeah. so whether i want to or not we have an abundance yeah. um yeah no bunk beds as of yet um well it's always about balance yeah but i think again like i was talking to that friend and i was like have you like told them this and they were like no but like I would expect this to be the way that everyone thinks about it and it's like okay (laughs) that's where the problem is so I'm glad you brought that up yeah for sure um all right well I think this has been quite the um episode of friendship uh before we go may I plug something for my business now yeah of course it's your thank you uh no (laughs) well you know I don't want to solicit our guests uh, but hold on one second though, because David texted me grabbing the beans cause we're making chili for dinner. Oh boy. So very romantic. Hot date. So I sent him back a heart. Um, so yes. Uh, so for business, I yes. am, I have my social media that we plugged and you know, I, we all remember the saga of choosing my new handle, but I'm stepping away from that. I'm doing a newsletter. It's not a salesy newsletter. It's a newsletter full of interesting facts and articles and recommendations. So, um, if you like sometimes the things I say here, um, if you think you would like to hear about what I have to say on uh, small business and entrepreneurship and careers, I do a lot of career coaching, um, I would really love to have you sign up for my newsletter and you can do that at my website, shaykeats.com. Just scroll to the bottom and sign up for the newsletter. Or if that's like too confusing, just uh, email me or email Camp Adulthood and I'll make sure we get you on the list. Yeah, I'm very excited. I love newsletters. I subscribe to so many of them and it's just like a nice thing in the morning when you're drinking your coffee and you want to read a couple Mm -hmm. articles to like go through your inbox. And so I'm really excited to see the first one. 
Yay, me too. I hope it turns out good and I'm not overselling it. So No, I'm sure it'll be great. All right. Okay. Campers, we love you so, so much. Thank you as always for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.